welcome to the study of purpose. I'm Riley Kuffner, calling in from Santa Monica, California, alongside my co-host Aaron Feigelman. Aaron, another beautiful day. What's new with you, man? Just enjoying this beautiful weather up here in uh, Benicia. It's like high 70s, no more smoke. I can see the I can see the sun. I can see the moon. It's great. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, the smoke has finally cleared. Well, that's good to hear, man. And I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, we have a really inspiring woman on with us today, Sumitra uh, Rajkumar. And Sumitra came to the United States in 1990 after being born in South India and growing up in the United Arab Emirates. And when she got here, she ended up getting really involved in the racial justice movement, organizing against police brutality at the time. Um, since then, she's been a trainer in critical thinking, popular education, political analysis, leadership development, media literacy, and documentary storytelling when it comes to these social justice issues. And now she is a somatics practitioner and teacher working on body work and movement as it relates to her own self-perception of the matter. Symmetra, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Riley and Aaron. Certainly. Yeah. So, you know, what we like to kind of start our you know, exploration of, of purpose with is going back to the beginning and hearing about your experiences, you know, growing up. And so can you tell us like, you know, where you were born and then what your experience was like, like in your early days? Yeah. Um, well, I was born in uh, Tamil Nadu in Madras, what was then Madras, Chennai now um, in South India. Um, and but I, but my most formative years were really spent in in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. So my family and I moved there in '79, and um, you know, so I was eight years old then. And uh, yeah, so I grew up, I grew up in Dubai. And and why I say it's the most formative is because um, it was this city rising out of the sand, and um, I, you know. In many ways, it, it was just this. Um, it, it's it was an incredibly contradictory society, and I feel like being there was uh, was just a crucial uh, shaping of my consciousness, just from a very very young age. Um, it, it it was still becoming a city. So, um, in fact, there's there's an there's an image still on my fridge of of Dubai in 1990, actually, and then currently, and there's absolutely nothing, in, in, you know, like it's just desert um, in 90. So when I was there in 79, it was just even, you know, there was just very little there. So, um, yeah, I think that really um, uh, was a huge part of my shaping and my uh, family moved there, uh, you know, my my dad wanted to find his fortune there. And so we moved there at the time. Um, and um, it was, you know, uh, I think part of it is that it, it still pursues me as a um, developmental, um, almost like a, a blip, as much as it was a... Um, um, an enrichment. And I've still been trying to um, reconcile those two things. And I think I've spent the rest of my life so far, at least, trying to reconcile that. Um, so, you know, migration is a very, very, uh, has a, has such an effect on the consciousness. And, and I think that Dubai was one, one sort of step of migration. And then I had a double migration when I was 18 and came to the U.S. to study and then ended up staying and never leaving, really. Um, 
and one of the reasons I came here is because, um, and I was not, I, I, I didn't feel like I could be myself um, where I grew up. Um, you know, it was a very contradictory society. It was authoritarian. It was hyper-capitalist. And um, making sense of that was really hard for me until much later when I could piece, connect the dots and piece some things together. So, um, yeah. That's really interesting. And so, you know, I think that anytime you make a shift like that, the entire, you know, environment um, definitely has a huge effect. And so, what were some of the major differences or cultural shocks when you came to the United States after you know growing up in the UAE and you know, even coming from South India beforehand? Yeah, the major cultural shocks. Well, you know, my first port of entry was actually Disney World. My parents, <laughs> my parents, <laughs> my parents, and I was just remembering the absurdity of all of it, but like, um, my parents dropped me off and like, uh, you know, I, I, it was Disney World, then tech, we, we had to go to Disney World. And then we went, I went to Texas and that's where I, um, went to my undergrad at UT and then came to New York. I guess the culture shock, it's really, you know, in, I had I had a certain idea of what the U.S. was, and then of course since I've been here, it's it, I, I've I've reshaped those ideas and reformulated them. But I I because it was more of a strange, contradictory, authoritarian, and yet liberal, permissive, hyper capitalist society in Dubai, <laughs> coming to the U.S. I mean I think I had this idea of the U.S. as having a lot more. Um, just democratic possibility for someone like me. Um, and, you know, so, so I think that like in terms of culture shock, I, I think it was a slow, slow integration of a more nuanced idea of what um, that was here in this country. You know, that stark contrast I had created in my mind um, was a lot more nuanced, you know, I, I really had to internalize that, um, and come to a different realization and a different, um, understanding for myself as well as my understanding of society itself or societies. Um, and, and that one thing is that, that can, that perception of society, that understanding of society and that study of society and how it um, and the relationship between that and personal purpose has actually been a focus just for as long as I can remember. Um, and even as a kid, like, I think that, like, because I was so confused by my surroundings, I sought so much solace in study and reading uh, and literature, you know, that, like, that became the way I made sense of my world. And so in some ways, you know, everything has been about then like trying to bring things um, into focus and connecting dots uh, yeah. between that kind of study and then just kind of living life in these kind of disparate kind of cultural scenarios, you know? That's, yeah, that's really interesting that, you know, I think, I think a lot of times people get these messages from society and they don't think about them too much, you know, and they just let it, you know, kind of go along, but you always saw them and, 
you know, it wasn't like you didn't accept them, but you just wanted to understand them more. And you, you know, you really wanted to learn about that, which is, I think, really cool. Um, yeah, because, you know, I think some more people could probably benefit from learning about those nuances and the different messages that we hear, because there are a lot of different messages. Um, but, you know, I was wondering if there were any key experiences uh, while you were going to school in UT that ultimately ended up getting you to New York. So, you know, what was that transition like and, and why did you end up going to the big city? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like when I was, I was like a baby in the candy store when I got to, I mean, just be getting to go to college in the U.S. in the 90s, you know, was such like a, um, it was just like, it's like my brain exploded. It's like, I was just so excited to be there, you know, as a reader, as someone who was so um, anxiously interested in social dynamics and everything else. I, I, I think that like, UT just gave me a lot more, I think, just soaking in, well, Texas culture, but Austin culture, um, you know, and then also just, um, I mean, just people I encountered there and um, the, the the interest also in particularly in um, in uh, power dynamics and cultural dynamics and and art, you know, like like filmmaking was really interesting to me. Documentary, fil- I met and knew a lot of documentary filmmakers and writers, um, and that like that connected to my growing study in like you know cultural studies, um, uh, post colonial and gender studies. I mean, just like it's the acad- you know the academic life. I mean, right. I, I I was really juiced up by all of that. So you know that that kind of, but I wanted more of that and I wasn't ready to go back. And I think I was, because I was able to, I mean, I found a way I had to find a way to stay, you right. know, so that I could pursue that and I could pursue like creative work and political work in a way that I didn't feel like it didn't feel would be possible if I went back to Dubai. Um, but certainly could have been possible if I went back to India um, so, you know, that was always, I was always kind of thinking maybe I'll go back to India or I'll go to New York. So, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's New York that ended up happening, uh, for multiple reasons. And to, to backtrack a quick second back to pre New York, when you were in college or even maybe even when you were back in the UAE in high school, were you, did you, did you know that you like, there was social justice on your mind and did you think you wanted to be in that field? You know, I didn't think of it as a field at that time. You know, it certainly is its own industry and, uh, you know, and in various different gradations. Right. Um, But at that time, like I, I, I didn't think social justice as much as like I was keenly aware of sense of injustice and that there were power differences that people didn't always have a lot of agency in. And I was really curious about that. Um, so, and I stayed curious about that. I, I felt like in my own life, um, you know, I had, I was really, you know, 
so fortunate to be in a family that where I, I you know, love was really concrete. I knew I was loved. Um, and at the same time, the pressures of migration, the pressures of class vicissitudes and, uh, and um, you know, racialization over there and, and gender, gender differences, gender dynamics and harsh binaries around that, all of that had an impact on my family. So we were both really connected, but also kind of volatile in some ways. And, and I, I think there was a, um, all of that made me start to be aware of um, just how power operated both in a very intimate way in between people, even within families, um, how, uh, how those dynamics really were so crucial in, in, in shaping an individual and then how individuals go on to shape society and vice versa. That, you know, I couldn't have said it in that way maybe, but um, that was one thing. And then like being out in the streets of Dubai and feeling also how, how, um, how sharply, like how sharply relationships were conditioned by power dynamics, um, you know, uh, the power men in, had over women. I mean, in very, and this, it sounds more essentialist than I mean it to, because I'm, you know, I, I, I don't believe there are essential characteristics that define power necessarily always. But, um, but there are those groupings, right, um, that are conditioned by systemic forces. And so that um, you know, I, I just always felt that. I felt that. Um, I, I felt like social exclusion um, versus, uh, you know, access and connectivity. I mean, all those things had so much, so many inhibitors um, and, and as well as like, uh, you know, invitations, <laughs> you know, and I was curious about those too. And I think all of that started to percolate. Um, and it felt like almost like an organic trajectory uh, towards questions of injustice, questions of power and like deepening my both study and practice uh, around how those operate on personal and interpersonal levels and then on broader societal levels um, and how collectives can even organize for that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really cool that a lot of those experiences you talked about were in the early, you know, in your early days. Um, and it's, it's nice how that really transformed your perception of bring and do that work here, you know, in, in New York. And so what did that look like in the 90s? Because we know, I mean, it was a difficult time. But uh, I mean, we're seeing some of these same issues coming up, you know, even in today's time. So, you know, what was it looking like back then? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I think that back, well, I guess back then, what was it looking like? So what did racial, what did racial injustice kind of look like then? And what did those sort of mobilization efforts look like then in the city? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I guess like I'm uh, familiar with kind of what's going on right now. And so I'm using that as like my main point of reference. Um, and, you know, if there are any kind of similarities, differences, yeah, I mean, there were some there were some sort of sad familiarities, I suppose, in the sense that, like, you know, in some ways, it, it, it's it's hard to really metabolize that, like, we were fighting those same fights then, and right. things haven't shifted as much as we tried to shift them, um, and uh, so I, I guess you know, 
there's so there's both a linear and a cyclical aspect to the question you asked. You know, I think sure. back then there wasn't as much outpouring in the streets as there is now, and that's such a good thing now, right? Yep. But back then it really felt like you know when people were taking the streets, when people were um, that that deep rage um, when Amadou Diallo was shot forty one times for holding out his wallet, for example, um, by the cops. Um, you know that kind of deep rage, latent rage that was already there, right? That ha had its own. Con continuity um through uh you know just so 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 much and um centuries really of of um colonialism slavery racial injustice i mean that that outpouring of rage in the streets was very familiar um it was less multiracial then <laughs> um and it's wonderful that it's more multiracial now um and uh but, but that was, I mean, for me, it was very, it, it really, it, it certainly um, concretized certain things that I felt were really important about collectivity at the time. Um, you know, that people who have less power need to come together in order to create more power. And um, that, that power really does seed nothing without a demand. So there it, it is that is that is a really crucial aspect of what it means to um, organize and to build a social movement that is that that is intended to um, reorganize social power dynamics. So um, so that's what it looked like at that time, I guess, in that in, in the city. And, and there was also the rise of kind of nonprofit industries to um, create capacity around um fighting social injustice. And I think um, that was also like kind of it, it and it had its own those had its own their own contradictions already. Um, and, you know, we see them today as well. So I don't know if that <laughs> that answered the question. But yeah, that's really interesting. And where in this social justice movement did you exist? Were you in the nonprofit side of it? Were you on the streets? Where were you? In the, in the beginning, it was just on the streets and like more ad hoc um, organizations and uh, that were more, more mobilization based. So, um, you know, there was an organization at the time called South Asians Against Police Brutality and Racism that, you know, really acknowledged that like that as South Asians, we might have some connection around, uh, you know, racism, but certainly it's not the same as um, as black people and Latino people who had who were like really much more had a whole different relationship with the formation of the U.S. state. Um, and so, you know, I mean, so that was uh, I, I, so that was an initial. And then, like, I went into uh, youth work and uh, youth media work and youth organizing work um, using uh, media and documentary storytelling as a way to do political education, building on uh, the ideas of Paulo Freire and Augusta Boal, you know, really kind of getting to what it meant to, I mean, it was just a popular education form, really, you know, storytelling through documentary um, in a collaborative way that was uh, really a, about young people um, 
finding and honing their own leadership and their own power individually and also collectively um, to tell stories about their communities, but also to kind of understand social forces and what they were up against, but also how they had agency um, and that, that, that they didn't just have to be determined by that, but they had their own kind of self and collective determination um, that was possible um, when they threw down together both in the streets, but also creatively with media, all of that. So I got, that's another place. So that that was I worked with an organization called Global Action Project at the time, and that was a, um, a social justice youth media nonprofit. So, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. You kind of started off just like in the thick of it, but then you've you've kept with this for a long time on on these same sorts of issues. And so, you know, getting back to the theme of our podcast, talking about purpose, did you find a, a purpose in contributing to that movement or? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Did I find a purpose in contributing to that movement? I, I, I think so. I think so. And the reason why I'm hesitant is really just because I feel like it's just been such a cumulative process, Um, you know, and it's never, it's been jagged and never one, you know, it actually has been sometimes a little bit like I've, there's been detours along the way. Um, so, but yes, in a general sense, sure. Yes. I, I, I definitely found a purpose in, um, in trying to, um, deepen both my study of political economy, um, racialized capitalism, um, and what it meant to build movement and trying to really, on like get study more about the history of social movement as well. And, um, and so I did feel very purposeful about, um, about developing that in many, in as many different dimensions as I could, you know, I mean, this is where I was a bit of a, I think, what is it? A a flaneur. (laughs) I use in my, in my less generous uh, days, I would have called it like I was a bit of a dilettante, but like, I think it was more like, I was just like, I had this a little more of a rarefied focus, I would say. And, uh, and I was, I was exploring a lot. Um, but I did, I, I think political education and popular education did, did become the way in which I invested more deeply in that question. Um, and, and, and the, the more creative though, I mean, I've always had this tension between yes, political purpose and collective political purpose and deep study around political analysis. And I've studied plenty by myself, you know, both formally and informally on, on, on political economy and political theory. However, there's also art and there's also, you know, the creative life and, and there's also literature, which was my first love and my solace. And that always was on the side. Um, and, and that also, I think, deeply was informing that there was something missing in how I was going about this um, yeah. that I wanted to tap into. Um, and so, so, so I'm just, this is a little bit of foreshadowing around. So yes, that was, I felt that was my purpose. And yet I felt like there were a couple of things that I wasn't quite fully tapping into, um, in terms of like really adding dimension to that sense of purpose for me, in, at least in my small life, you know? And, and, and have you found some more of those things now? Um, and moved into that creative side, those things that you really love to do, because I think that you know, I think that has to be a part of your purpose. Is just like what you know makes you fulfilled, and you know what you really enjoy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I was a lot more repressed at the time and a lot more uh, judgmental of myself. And, you know, movement culture, uh, social movement culture can be very judgmental um, and um, very and can be stoic. Um, And, (laughs) you know, I think I internalized a lot of that. And part of it was that I was like, I have to decide where I put my attention. I only have so many hours in the day. And so I, this is where, and if I'm not like really living for, um, you know, movement building, um, then I'm not actually, uh, fulfilling the kind of collective purpose and the deeper political purpose that I think is really important for us. However, that shifted. And I was like, you know, this is just, it's impossible to actually, uh, deepen social transformation without personal transformation and personal development. And, and, um, and so I started to, that started to shift. Yes. And um, one of the ways it shifted is that um, I I was hired to be a political education um, coordinator at an organization called Social Justice Leadership, just like all the right, you know, kind of, and training organizers on organizing skills, as well as like, you know, doing political education, doing his, you know, studying history with them, lots of study circles, stuff that really like was exciting to me. But then there was this other piece, which was also personal transformation and somatics. And um, and it, it, that was all about relationship. That was all about um, healing trauma, which was which was which was new to me at the time. And um, also about, uh, you know, like uh, a kind of well, it was about the body. <laughs> it's about the body. Um, very crucially. And that was so, so once I started to do that work, which I was really suspicious of at first, I was more of a materialist in some ways than an existentialist. You're skeptical. Skeptical. Yeah. And this was in some uh, kind of transformative moment for me. Um, and in terms of just broadening my own sense of self. Um, you know, and not having it be less just about the should, I should do this, I should do this and externalizing all my values in a certain way and starting to really kind of ask deeper questions based on my own trajectory and my past and where I'd come from um, and, and, and healing some stuff, connecting some of my own dots that memory, migration, um, Dubai, you know, all of that made fuzzy. Um, and that got me also to, to writing. So that is a more recent aspect of things too. So I'm working on a novel. So, so that's also added that dimension. Um, and, and, and I think that, uh, but but somatics was a a big way into that into reconnecting um, with the self, allowing for the self, but not relinquishing the idea that the self is connected to the collective and to society either. It just became a new set of um, dimensions of possibility and purpose. And before we dig into somatics, which is I'm very excited for, I noticed you said something interesting. You said social justice can be judgmental and stoic, and I want to hear more about that. Why is that? And why is yeah? Why is this? Because the heart of social justice is really helping empower people who are facing injustice. So why would you be stoic and judgmental? Yeah. Oh, this is such a painful and beautiful question. I think um, 
I, I, I mean, it shouldn't be, you know, I mean, like it, like you say, there's like, there's a, we are trying to, in some very sort of writ large way, um, heal and mitigate suffering. So why would it be about judgment and that kind of repression? But I think that, um, I think that like people are funky, you know, I mean, and when, um, and power operates in like a kind of funky way. And so I, I think that like people within social justice movements can hold really high standards um, of, you know, like they can high standards for themselves and others um, in a way that ultimately, you know, diminishes the, the, the point of it, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that, and I don't think that's true of all, you know, people doing social justice work. And I certainly don't think that's necessarily true of the culture at large, but I do think, um, and there are many kinds of cultures within social justice movements all over the world. So I don't want to over, you know, all the caveats. However, I do think that, um, people can, because, because there's so little power, right. And because people have finding the way to make society more just often feels like such an uphill battle in terms of power dynamics. People get, I think, really feel backed into a corner by defending their positions and, and, um, and then hold each other's really high standards and don't always recognize how they've been potentially even traumatized by power dynamics themselves and can take that out on each other. Um, so even I think there, there can be a lot of, um, there can be a lot of shame in it that people operate on or guilt that people operate on in social justice movements. And that can lend to a kind of cop in the head type policing of the self and others. Um, you know, I mean, I think we're getting into some sort of deeper sort of layers of, of almost like the psychoanalytic um, aspects of social movements, you know. Um, but I think and, and people tend to find, you know, there's a sort of narcissism of small differences um, and there's a kind of people can split hairs over things that are um, with people who are closer to them in in their thinking and ideology sometimes because that's who you spend time around and there's so much rage and so much containment of rage and so much you know tension there and so people can get turfy people can get judgmental for all those reasons you know i mean it's just I mean, real it's people <laughs> exactly it's just people i mean it sounds like the human condition i think those same patterns play out you know in other spaces too it's just you know very lofty you know objective and goal where everyone really is working to help others um but it's interesting to hear that that they can still fall into the same some of the same pitfalls you know that other people are doing so it's just a lesson of our own self-awareness and development you know because um, if we're really able to work on ourselves first, then you know we're in a much better position to bring that bring that forward. Um, and and so I'm curious about you know what you learned with with somatics, and and how that really brought you to learning more about yourself. Um, 
also explain what is somatics like what is somatics yeah totally um well in somatics Somatics, the, the body, we regard the body as the self. It's a therapeutic healing uh, modality. Um, and uh, I think it's pretty syncretic. I mean, there's a lot of different lineages housed within the body of somatics. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it has everything from, you know, psychoanalysis and rolfing to... Uh, uh, meditation, both Buddhist and Hindu and, um, uh, you know, Aikido, martial arts. I mean, it's, it's like this, this, this bizarre syncretic methodology that really acknowledges though, that the body is the self. So our sense of self is not just our thoughts and ideas, but it's a amalgamation of our thoughts or our stories, our beliefs, but also our moods and our sensations. Like we, we are a lot more uh, psychobiological. We are a lot more physical and emotional as well as, um, you know, our, our stories of who we are. Um, so, so that's one, that's one aspect of what somatics is about, um, is really including that sense of, that sense of your own body in your sense of self and other people's bodies um, beyond objectification, but really as like actually like in relationship to one another, you know? Um, and, you know, we're social animals, for example, right? Like we're really like um, affected by one another and, um, and we feel it in a sentient way. You know? So it's, it's really like acknowledging those layers of our sense of being. We are nature. We're not, we don't have to go out to nature. We, we also okay. embody nature, you know? Um, and so it's, it's kind of, I think, softening some of those binaries for one, um, that, uh, that, you know, it, it, otherwise it's, a, I mean, I've heard people talk about it as like, it's a kind of refutation of that kind of Cartesian mind body split, but I actually think it's, it's, it's really being able to, uh, allow for all of it, you know, uh, so that it's it's the it's the thinking self, it's the feeling self, but it's really also the relationship between thinking and feeling, right? So um, all of that. Um, and I think one other thing is that in somatics, what's really important is a sense of purpose, um, because we're not just talking about somatics. We're not just talking about the body, but we're also we are aware of um, power dynamics um, and how those shape us. So there is a sense of, uh, you know, political purpose. It's a politicized somatics in that sense. And at the same time, um, you know, we are, what we're doing really is, is both developing self-awareness that is more integrative in this way, as well as a cultivation of practices um, that lead us towards embodying our purpose. So practice is really key in somatics. It's what you are, what you do. Um, you know, we, we're always practicing something. Um, and so what is it, what is it that you're practicing? Where's your attention going? Um, and so that's key to it. And then that, like, it's really about an embodied sense of purpose. So it's really like, how are you doing and being what you want to do and be, you know? Yeah. And for our listen for our listeners, I actually did, you know, Sumitra, I did your guided, um, uh, somatic, uh, podcast for like, it was a like 15 minute podcast. And I've been doing meditation, uh, 
as well, you know, on, on normal days. And I noticed that with this, it felt very much about the body more than any meditation, a guided meditation I've done. And it was a like very body focused, which was cool. And, uh, and I've only done this once with your uh, guided practice, but I liked it because, uh, Sometimes when it's doing meditation, I, you know, your mind wanders, right? But when you're focused on the body, I find it easier to uh, be kind of present. So I, I like that. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. Wow. Listen to the centering practice. <laughs> yeah. That was, so is that sort of, is it sort of like very just focused on the body? You know, how long are these sessions that you do with some of your, um, the, the folks that you're teaching and these hour long or these, you know, 15 minutes long, what is this like? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really curious, by the way, what you felt you got got out of it, you know, in terms of your meditation practice. But I'll, you can tell me that. Um, uh, my sessions, so my one-on-one sessions usually last like an, like an hour, like any therapeutic session, um, and. Uh, I work primarily with organizers, but also artists and cultural workers and, you know, a range of people, um, but primarily with community organizers and um, group work that I do uh, that also that now on Zoom, I do it's about an hour and a half. Um, but, but we were doing, I mean, I was trained by an organization called Generative Somatics out in the Bay Area, actually. Um, uh, and they, uh, you know, we used to do, we used to do, uh, we used to teach courses and those, those would last over three or four days. Um, and, and with a group of people and uh, all day, um, and we'd go through different practices together that were like the kind of foundational practice that you experience, Aaron, it's, um, you know, centering as, as, as kind of the baseline, um, as a way to bring yourself into your body and repeat that practice so that that becomes a lot more just accessible to you. That's, I mean, that, this is us, (laughs) you know, it's like below the neck, that's like who you are too, you know, and, but, but from the inside out as, you know, really like in terms of how you actually feel like, um, so, so that, and, and, and using that, that basic uh, foundational centering practice to do other practices as well. Like, for example, saying no, um, you know, having a boundary or, or making requests of people or um, so that it, it's very much in, it takes it into action. Whereas meditation can be like, you know, it's what you do. Um, you can do it with people for sure, but it's, it's a very internal um, uh, kind of reorganization of the self, right? Um, and refocusing of attention with somatics, it's it's highly relational, so that you can like imagine bringing kind of your meditation into play when you're having a conversation with someone, right? What does that do to your sense of presence? Um, your reminder of your purpose um, in almost everything you do. So it it does start to um. It, it, it can, it, yeah, it, it can, it, it brings everything into a different, through a different lens, you know, the body being that different lens. Yeah. That yeah. sounds, that sounds cool. Very holistic. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is, which is good. And, and uh, one thing I learned when I was doing some research on this was about the somatic arc of transformation. Is that something that you talk about with semantics a lot? I was wondering if you could run us through it and, and kind of the high level what it's all about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, you know, well, one thing, I, something I think Aaron you said earlier around um, 
or, or I think actually, Riley, you were talking about working on the self and, and then, you know, kind of working oh, with other course. people. Yeah. Right. And, and it's almost like the oxygen mask on your, you know, yourself first. Um, yeah. And, and that, that dialectic I think has, is really important in somatics. So I just want to say that as a baseline, like it's like, it's the self and the other person and it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of a back and forth of like knowing that you are shaped by society or shaped by relationship and you can shape it back and you can shape relationships back and having that agency is crucial um, and that you can develop that agency more and more through practice. So the arc then is like um, really about a cultivation of that agency ultimately, right? And towards a kind of embodiment. So uh, the arc of transformation, <laughs> you know, as much as it says it's about transformation and embodied transformation, to me, it's often about a radical acceptance of the self. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really like allowing for who you are um, in a, in a deeply compassionate way. <laughs> um, and then when you do that, a lot of relationships transform, <laughs> you know, and, and so, so really kind of tapping into that. So what the arc is, is basically we all are, um, it, almost if you visualize a half circle, right. And at the, uh, with an, with, with an arrow at the end of it. So it's like an arc, right. It's an arc that travels, forward and if you at the beginning of the arc is really um your current shaping so when you enter into somatic practice how have you been shaped by society what are your habits we are the accumulation of our practices and 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 habits that's what the methodology um states right so so as a um you know so what is that current shape of yours and uh there's a term there's jargon we have there What's your condition tendency or your a set of condition tendencies, right? So how have you been conditioned and what are your habits? Sometimes inside of that, there can be some deeper survival strategies because um, of, of trauma, small T trauma of living in this society and it's all its dynamics and some big T traumatic events where there have been act, actual acts of violence or acts of violation and um, uh, where you felt you've really keenly felt the brunt of injustice. So it's really building an awareness though, right? So that current shape is it's as the arc moves, you're building an awareness of how you have been shaped, not just in terms of the story, but also how you hold yourself, how you breathe, what 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 happens in your body when you are under pressure. So when when stress turns up, when you are particularly triggered, say, and there's a, there's a response in your body, any reaction, right, for you to notice that in the body itself. Right. So it is your heartbeat. Do your palms get clammy? Um, do you do you rush to make everything OK? Is that your tendency? Um, do you immediately fight? Do you just walk out of the room? And what happens? Does does something shut down? Um, do you do you begin to freeze? Does your mouth get dry? And, um, you know, all the ways that we embody stress, anxiety, fear, um, and then start to quickly protect ourselves under pressure. And that has a history. The body has a memory and a history of that. Perhaps there was a um, there, there was an awful event that happened in your past 
and um, and you learn how to survive it, not consciously, but unconsciously. Right. Um, you know, people who've uh, survived intimate violence or people who've been in war zones, freezing or dissociating saved their life. So it's a wisdom. It's a wisdom. So becoming aware of that, right, is one part of that arc journey, really being aware of it with compassion. Right. Yeah. And addressing and a high right. level of awareness that you're talking about, too. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just like, how do I see things? What has shaped me? But it's like, how do I respond in these certain situations, which starts to get pretty, you know, analytical. You really got to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I would argue that it's not as much analytical as it is also you're starting to get really sentient with yourself. You're starting to really feel what happens and tolerate the feeling. Not just understand it and not just understand where it was shaped historically, which is a huge part of it. And that's important. But people get that from regular therapy a lot of the time. Right. And psychoanalysis and all that with somatics, the dimension we're adding on here is that also, well, how are you feeling, you know, in your body? Because you're an animal (laughs) and you have survival strategies embedded in your physical sense of self. And that react, those reactions are physical, emotional, physiological. So getting aware of that in those moments and staying present is a huge lift for a lot of people. It's been a huge lift for me. So really being like staying present and Using the centering, Aaron, that you experience, for example, as a baseline way of being able to connect to your felt sense of something that is more stabilizing in the body, right? Something you can count on, a home base, right? And still remain open and present and connected, connected, less reactive, more accessing of creativity and purpose in a given moment, Right. So saying so the other end of the arc really is your commitment and it is all about your purpose. It is about what you want to embody. Most of the time, including under pressure, when stresses pull your attention away from what you want to be and how you want to be, you know, in your body, where your attention goes, all of it. So you start to actually have a mantra that you repeat to yourself when you center. It's not just about centering as, an, as just a practice of being present. It's about with, it's with that purpose. So you're reminding yourself and, and that it helps reorganize you under pressure. So it's this twin arc of both self-awareness on a body-based level, as well as self-cultivation, new practices, new competencies, new body-based psychobiological skills that get you towards embodying that commitment, that purpose. So, yeah, it, and, it get, and it gets pretty weird. How so? Well, this is where it's like, you know, it really shook me as someone who is more of a materialist, right, to go through this somatics. And like, I come from India and like, you know, I grew up around meditation with my grandfather early in the mornings and, you know, a lot of, you know, but I also had a very healthy skepticism of sort of the sort of charlatan guru kind of, um, you know, dynamic as well. I mean, like, I think it, I was I was a little bit like ginger about getting into something that would be a kind of surface new age thing, you know, um, that wasn't that that 
I guess, I guess, like it was, it was a kind of. I mean, this is a whole other question that we can, you can psychoanalyze me about, like, you know, my relationship with spirituality and like as, as and materialism and all of that because it's a very contradictory one. Um, but, but I think it's, I, I just, I think I had some trepidation about um, about some culty, um, you know, like it, what if it was just some culty weird stuff that I was going to be getting into that was just n- not really going to be about deeper. Um, deep liberation, transformation, you know, um, but it floored me because, and, and what, what was weird about it or like, what, like totally was hard about it was that I had lots of ideas. I considered myself an intellectual. I thought I had really great understandings of things. I mean, not always, I consider myself a student more than, but, but really that I was very intellectually involved in things. And this really did a number on me because I had to tolerate just my own, myself in a whole different way. You know, I had to tolerate my suffering and develop my emotional range in a whole other way that was physiological. And the body really surprises you. I mean, this is where ultimately, you know, I mean, you're not, it's, matter is fascinating in and of itself. (laughs) And the fact that like the body does stuff, like I've been on body work tables where my body's shuddered several times. My jaw has chattered and, um, and, you know, I've felt like innards, like twist, my innards twist and like, and, and just all this sorrow or grief or like, kind of emerge and you know and it's not cathartic but like it's actually um it's the capacity to be uh, to allow for possibility within like how you be your own emotional range and um i think that that's like I think that's just, I mean, that's just mind blowing. Like, why are, why is your teeth, why are your teeth chattering? You know? And I think part of it is that there's old contractions in your shape, right? Like, like if there's all there, there's something that's very, that can be incredibly like, um, for example, if you, there's a lot of, um, I worked, I worked with, um, you know, I, I do consider there's an aspect of this that's deeply feminist, right? Like, it, it, because it's about like, um, have it, it's not about objectifying the body, but it's about really giving the body its full agency, right? And there's so much about that that's feminine. It's a feminist project. It has been for so long in, in different places, different cultures. There's something about, um, that the, the, the uh, there's there's a kind of wing tipping that can happen, for example, right? With I'm, I'm talking about like a, like imagine concave shoulders, okay. uh, like what can happen when someone embodies has practiced over and over that they're not worth they're not worth it, like they're um, ashamed of themselves or they're more hidden inside of themselves and they've not been given a lot of permission to just be who they are. And I'm, I'm just being kind of simplistic, but I've actually seen and, and worked with this, right. Um, that there's, there can be a real holding, a protective holding. Um, and it feels almost terrifying to raise the sternum, to ease the shoulders and have feel like you can have space between the ribs for your full, for you to take full breaths because it doesn't feel safe enough to do that. 
you know, and that actually you got by really well and really wisely by keeping small. It it actually got you through a lot of situations. So suddenly experiencing and tolerating what it means to take full breaths and widen your shoulders can be terrifying and exhilarating and a lot and it can feel like a lot of energy in the body like I, it, it can feel like a lot of energy moving through your body cascading through your body and shuddering right. just to observe <laughs> those shudder. things you know because i feel like a lot of times maybe you don't observe them they're just happening and then as soon as you take the time to really feel how you're feeling to think about it you observe these things, and you're like, what is going on? Um, but, but you know, it seems like that's a great first step, but the next step is just to, to be able to accept it, um, you know, and be like, this, I mean, it might be weird, but it's just weird. It's fine, you know? Um, that sounds like, you know, kind of a really, a really productive journey um, to, to go through that and experience something maybe strange, but then to, to you know, own it. Um, all the same yeah yeah and then and and to own it and through owning it perhaps find more of yourself and more of yourself in relationship to others which is in some ways where this you know um i mean just like the, the feeling of purpose is just that that deep mutual recognition as well right it can be at least of uh, of of being more of yourself and us being more of ourselves together that deeply interdependent mutually compassionate um, sense of being that interconnectivity so how do we get to be more of ourselves in relationship to others being more of themselves and encourage that in one another with mutual dignity real deep mutual dignity um, so that's been sort of yeah I could see why this somatics practice because it's so purpose-driven would work for social justice because people who are in social justice are doing it I think largely for this purpose of, you know, helping others, uh, bridging inequalities. So it makes sense why it's very applicable. Do you think somatics would be applicable to somebody who is, you know, just like seeking normal therapy and it's not about this like trauma from social justice? Yeah. Um, well, there's a short and long answer, of course, <laughs> but like, you know, I think short answer, sure. I think, uh, but, but I think where it, it depends. I think what what does it mean to be the most of who you are? So, I mean, we can look at it as social justice field, but if we don't reify that, like if we are more of who we are, we are in relationship to other people in a way that considers other people and the planet. We're not separated from those things. Um, and, and, you know, in terms of helping others, you know, I want to just say something about that because I don't think it's necessarily about helping others. I don't think social justice is about helping others. I think it's about building power with others in order to reorganize a society towards more fairness. And and then like with, yes, some of us have more advantages than others, um, materially, you know, resource wise. And that's just, that's, yes. <laughs> but once you start to actually um, prioritize what it means to live in a just world, then, you know, it becomes a, less about just helping others. It's it's more about how do uh, we live equitably with one another, you know? Um, so, I mean, at least that's, you know, that's like, that's, that's a, that's, I guess, one way of, of, of thinking about it. But, but 
to answer your question, Aaron, yes, I think the short answer is yes. Like, I think for people who just want to, um, you know, ease their own trauma and and find more of who they are and don't have a particular lens or focus or have not been trained around the language of social justice or not, are not in that those cultures and communities that make it about that, like, and that's forefront in the way that they perceive themselves and others. Yes, I think that's possible. I think as you start to ask the questions around where does the trauma come from, you know, what are the lines? I think we always find a story about power. I think we always find a story that is about like, you know, uncover when you want to be more of who you are, it in some ways or the other, some way or the other always involves what it means to e ease up on an internalized power dynamic too. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I think that's something, that's an argument one could make at least. Sure. No, no, that's, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've definitely learned a lot <laughs> about all the, um, you know, the different practices that you can you know, take. And it's cool, you know, looking at how this plays out in different frameworks. Um, and, you know, the somatics framework has elements of some other ones that I've learned about. Uh, but you said that somatics was like kind of a combination of a bunch of different things. But now it's like this new practice. Um, and, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, do you think that it has merits of becoming more popular since it is new? Do you think that this is going to grow? Um, or how do you think that this can continue to play a role in people's lives? I think, that's a, I think that's a great question. I think there's aspects of it that are already popular in like very in, in certain ways. Um, I mean, there's this particular generative somatic style of somatics, right? But I think there are a lot more connections people are making that decentralize the brain and the other, you know, and the body. And, you know, I mean, I think that um, th th those, those dots are already being connected, uh, if you will. Like, I think... Um, uh, that people are, uh, I mean, even, even now in this pandemic, right? Like, um, with say with zoom, zoom is both incredible in that it offers us connectivity, but people are getting so tired of being on zoom, you know, when they're, they're working all day and all of that. And in some ways it's because the body, something happening, happening physiologically, that's making us less attentive to ourselves, right? Less attentive to our, our, our physical body-based needs. So there's already these heightened awarenesses around what it means to actually allow for the body as part of who you are and your sense of self. So I, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess I think that that's already happening. Uh, stress itself is more understood now as physiological as well as, you know, something that is, um, you know, you, you sit on the psychoanalyst's couch and like kind of go through your deeper history. Um, so, I, and I think it's all of it. It's not, you know, I mean, it, it, I think there's, there's a lot to be gained from, from really like uh, tapping into um, meditation practices, 
centering practices and this weird stuff around like martial arts and what it means to occupy a center of gravity and really regard relationship as kind of incoming vectors almost of Mm -hmm. energy. It's like, you know, it's like the physics of what it means to be alive, right? Like, it's like, all right, like we interact with one another and we receive each other. Um, in some ways, I mean, it, yeah. I, I, I'm so cautious of saying stuff like energetically because it sounds, <laughs> you know, there's just automatic associations with that. But like, you know, but it's really sure. like there, there are the there's these there, there's these physics of interaction, you know. Yeah, a relationship there, um, yeah. I mean, I really think that there's something inherent between like human interaction. There's just something you know special in it by itself. Um, that's worth acknowledging, but I mean, really cool to learn about the somatics practices. I think that, um, there's no one way to accomplish that level of like understanding oneself and the world, but it seems like a great framework, you know, like you said, within all these other things. Um, and so, you know, we're getting toward the end of the podcast here, but we have been wrapping up, uh, recently with a set of rapid fire questions. Um, that I think Aaron has prepared for you. And so, you know, Aaron, do you want to go through this stuff? Uh, let's do that. But before that, I want to ask you a, a philosophical question. And it's one that I'm, I'm always interested in hearing responses from people. And, and so it doesn't, doesn't have to be a rapid fire answer. And then the question is, what does success mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think success is in some ways, um, for me at this stage at least, it's achieving a focus and depth of attention, um, like a deep agency, focus and depth and attention that, that, can, that can lead to a product or a skill, right? Um, that, and that is mutually recognized. So it can be in any kind of field, it can be in whatever, but you know, I think the tropes of success that say like maybe I grew up with, like with my family and how they would might regard success, you know, and my own sort of like explorations into different things, forays of stuff, you know, where originally I don't know if that would be regarded as successful, like maybe money is success or maybe like having a clear, I actually think it's like if you are satisfied with the where you are focusing and deepening your attention and there is some level of mutual recognition meaning other people also recognize that i do think that's important because we are relational we are social animals so some degree of that but yeah focus and depth of attention i don't know interesting yeah i don't know i don't know i mean um with that, I think it's possible to develop skill and expertise, you know, that is, uh, that is, rec- that is recognized and that you're seen for. Um, and then I think that's a successful, that's a feeling of success. You feel achievement then. Um, you feel like you've activated that. You haven't been handed it, but you have actually um, developed that agency in your own attention, your own focus and your own um, the way in which you're organizing your life and time. Like, I don't make a lot of money right now, but I do have a lot more um, agency in how, where I choose to, what, what I choose to attend to and how I want to spend my time. And so 
and but I want more of it, by the way. So I don't know if I'm always if I always feel like I'm successful, <laughs> wow. you know. But like I want to write a novel, and that's a whole other that's a whole other can of worms in terms of being. I mean, you want a product at the end of it. You want a novel, right? right. So it has an actual like end game there um, that would be successful, right? So it's the process of getting there to me is like. Yep, that focus and depth of attention and developing the skill and the expertise and the practice and the, you know, and that that culminates in that. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's interesting hearing, you know, different people have different thoughts. I think it, I'm, I'm, you're, you're saying this yourself. It changed. It, it changes throughout your life what your definition of success is. Uh, and I'm also curious about these these uh, rapid fire questions. So the way it works is they're actually not really questions. It's more uh, fill in the blank. So okay. I'd say something like. My name is, and you'd say Sumitra. Mm -hmm. So let's let's get started. First one is the book I read. Uh, the book I recommend most frequently is. Ooh, oh my gosh, that depends on 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 to whom. True. Okay. Um, let's say. I'm gonna overcomplicate oh. your rapid fire questions, Aaron. Well, that's actually. But what do you? What do you? I mean. To us. To us. To us. Yes. Oh, to you. Well, to you chaps, I would probably recommend The Body Keeps the Score just because um, it's it's a it's it really is a, in some ways a fundamental text about um, somatics and the body by Bessel van der Kolk um, or The Politics of Trauma by Stacey Haynes. And um, so probably are those. But that's and that's related to this. But damn, I have a bunch of book recommendations. <laughs> I can see them. They're all behind you, right? They're all behind you in your bookshelf. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a reader. Wow. You got a lot of books. Holy hell. Uh, okay, the next one's actually probably not going to be any easier. It's the, the the movie I recommend most frequently is. is... Oh gosh, really? Well, <laughs> oh, talk, let's talk. Let's talk like you know, uh, like, you know, cinematic, expert uh, beauty, like that kind of movie, not like you know, for. Um, uh, necessarily somatics. Right, right. No, got it. Got it. Uh, I mean, one of the movies that really shaped me was uh, that really like it, it was Burn by Ponte Corvo, Battle of Algiers and Burn by uh, Ponte Corvo. I mean, th th those are two films that he did that, that at some point were really important that I recommended a lot. I think there's a bunch of same thing. There's a bunch of films I would recommend now. I mean, I, I, I love movies and I love a range. So but let's say burn. I'll just pick burn for rapid fire sake. Okay. Next one. Uh, I'm inspired by. Oh, so many people dead and alive. Yeah. So many people dead and alive. Um, uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm inspired by um, depth of friendships, um, depth of relationship, um, and what gets, what's possible within a lifetime when it comes to that, um, the depth of learning that can come from that, the comradeship. Um, so, so I guess it's relationship. Gosh, my mom would be so proud that, that so, she's the one who's, who's the relationship. She's like, it's all about relationship, but. No, that's really nice. I like that. Uh, next one. My purpose on this planet is. Great. Ugh. Well, my purpose, <laughs> my purpose on this planet um, is to live in mutual dignity and compassion and to really try to cultivate that as best as I can and um, and to really surrender to uh, my creative passions, too, in, in a way that um, 
allows for me to be more whole and make it a contribution, like make it like believe that it can be a contribution. Yeah. yeah. If I could be any animal, I'd be <laughs> a lemur. Nice. Something I once thought was true, but no longer believe in is. Um, oh yeah. Uh, let's see something I used to know. Well, that, 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 that contradict that, um, being contradictory, uh, is, is somehow intolerable. Uh, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, it's like, I think that there's so many levers that we pull as human beings. So I used to, I think I used to believe that if you didn't reconcile some of your contradictions, that was, there was a, there was a failure in that of some sort. And, and, and I'm much more, um, I think fluid and forgiving with my own contradictions. Um, but for the, even if it means that like some things will go off into an asymptote of never being fully reconciled, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I got very meta with that. I guess it's not, um, one other thing though, is the individual and the collective. Like I used to believe that it's only about like what you can do collectively. And now I think that it's a complicated relationship and dynamic between the individual and the collective and, and rescuing, um, what it means to be and be actualized as an individual does not mean individualism, you know, it's, you know, especially with as you as you all are, are, you know, bringing up this sort of what does it mean to 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 be in purpose and studying purpose, which is such a beautiful project. It's 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 really like it's about to me, a lot of that is about like connecting that individual and collective to really, you know, start to start to get um, more fine tuned into what that means. So I guess I'm more forgiving in in a lot of different ways of, of myself and probably other people. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that concludes our uh, rapid fire for this uh, session. And this was very, a very good learning experience, I think for uh, myself. And I think the topic of self care, mental health uh, is, is only going to become increasingly uh, more popular. And, and this year definitely is required. So I think it's been really, really good for, I hope for our viewers, our listeners to learn about another, um, another method, which is somatics. Mitch really has. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was fantastic. And, you know, I think I learned, there were a lot of takeaways, um, but, you know, in particular, when you're talking about that idea of forgiveness, you know, with yourself and acceptance, um, I think that's I think that's huge, and I've also thought a lot about the idea of like congruency. You know, making sure you have congruency, you know, in your life, and it's it's impossible to do it perfectly, you know. And so that's the thing is that you know when you learn more about it, you have that goal, but it's okay that you're not there. You just have to accept it. Um, and so yeah, thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, and I love the word congruence. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you both so much for um, for having me. Certainly. All right. And thank you for all the listeners for signing on. We'll catch you next time here on The Study of Purpose. Mm-hmm.